The slogan for New Orleans is Laissez le bon temps rouler, meaning let the good times roll. Thanks to my biological brother, Jonathan, our day was spent maximizing our opportunity to experience the food, culture, and history of the city. I had no idea how deeply I would connect with people who had survived a different natural disaster than I have. And unbeknownst to us, a little bit of Louisiana magic was already at work behind the scenes in ways I would not fully discover until getting together with family, many of whom I had never met, to scatter my birth mother Belle's ashes three days later. I'm Kelly, and this is Do You Know Your Real Mom? Episode 6, Wednesday, A Taste of Magic. 6 a.m. is a normal time for Michael and I to wake up, so that meant with the time difference, it was about 8. We got ready and headed to the Ruby Slipper for breakfast. We made a goal to try all foods that were different than what we have access to back in California. My Bananas Foster and Michael's Benedict's with three different meats, from pulled pork to crab cakes, did not disappoint. With full bellies, we started out on the seven miles we would end up walking that day. First, we headed down for a close look at the Mississippi River. Jonathan is a boat captain, pushing enormous barges up and down the river for a living all the way across the country, so I had to see its vastness with my own eyes. Standing at its shores, I was excitedly texting Jonathan, wanting to learn more about such a massive river. He told us that it was one to two hundred feet deep in that area we were at. That's deeper than some of the areas we like to go bottom fishing in the ocean. Getting to know more about his job and our excited texting conversation was already making me feel closer to Jonathan, both geographically and personally. I couldn't believe I would finally get to see him tomorrow for the first time since he and his family visited my family 10 years ago. On the way to Jackson Square, we popped into a few shops, one of which had various polished rocks, which I love and like to buy when I'm on trips. In fact, in my pocket that day was a heart-shaped piece of rose jasper, one of my few belongings I happened to have had with me when we escaped the fire. I immediately noticed a worry stone that was formed from several different kinds of rocks, making a rainbow. I didn't even remember at that point the item it resembled that had meant so much to me, given to me by Belle and then lost in the fire many years before, as I purchased it and popped it in my pocket. We headed to Jackson Square, the location where the Louisiana Purchase was signed back in 1803. It includes a large statue of Andrew Jackson, hailed as the hero of the Battle of New Orleans in 1815. Behind Jackson Square rose the St. Louis Cathedral, built in 1720, over 200 years ago. The feeling of reverence and awe was palpable as we gazed upon the incredible beauty. To think that people had sought this place for guidance and comfort for 200 years was as inspiring as the artwork on the ceiling and the stained glass windows. We stepped back out into the heat and noticed the Louisiana Museum next door. Intrigued by what we may find, as well as the air conditioning, we paid our admission and entered the first floor exhibit, which honored and told the story of Hurricane Katrina, 
an incredible natural disaster in 2005 that displaced one million people. One million people. Our fire displaced 30,000 people and has made an impact on each of us forever. I won't even try to compare the two. Just as no two campfire survivors had the same experiences, you certainly can't make assumptions about surviving two different natural disasters. But what I can tell you is that in that museum, viewing room-sized photos and reading quotes from survivors, I felt a shared experience that I did not anticipate. From goosebumps to tears, the moment that struck me the most was when I read this quote from the Independent Levy Investigation Team, who said, The suffering and losses of those most intimately involved are almost beyond comprehension. It must be the goal and objective of all of us that a catastrophe of this sort never be allowed to happen again. This has certainly been the sentiment of our survivors and a focus of our rebuild efforts. In days to come, I would hear firsthand from a cousin who was at the front lines of the rescue efforts, but more on that to come. On a much lighter note, we headed to the second floor, focused on Mardi Gras. The rich culture, costumes, and traditions were beautiful. We saw the glamour of past kings and queens, rode on a virtual parade float, and learned why there are little babies in king cakes. What better to follow up a trip to the Louisiana Museum than visiting the Voodoo Museum? Off we went. We entered a tiny room with several people, noticing the voodoo dolls, the curtained side room with the crystal ball, and the woman running the scene with her high turban, long lashes and nails, and deep voice warning all visitors while issuing blessings and wishes. We purchased our admission and were given slips to write our wishes on for the voodoo gods. Jonathan had warned me to come with $1 bills to leave blessings for the voodoo gods. We entered the small space and started to peruse the various temples. I left my wish for Papa Legba, described by the museum as much loved. He walks barefoot and close to the earth. He appears to be just a small, crooked, lovable old man, wearing a straw hat, carrying a crutch, and often pictured with a dog. He is paired and identified with St. Peter. My wish is always the same. Whether a birthday candle, shooting star, or a voodoo spirit, my wish will always be for my family and loved ones to be happy, healthy, safe, and secure. I feel like my wishes align with those made to many of the voodoo spirits. Before visiting the museum, I had no idea of the historical context of voodoo, the connection to our early peoples and, sadly, the slaves held by many in our country's early history. I had no idea that a voodoo doll was typically used to impart blessings, not curses, which was so much clearer after learning the history. When mothers were separated from their children, this was a way to send them love over distance. More and more history filled the day. We visited incredible antique shops with relics reminiscent of grandparents who had passed. One shop had an alligator purse from the 50s or 60s, identical to one from Michael's grandmother we had lost in the fire. Others had grandfather clocks, like the ones my grandfather had built. It was beautiful. I even bought a crystal whiskey decanter as my souvenir. One of our best meals was at the gumbo shop, a place suggested by Jonathan where we feasted on gumbo and etouffee and tried Sazeracs for the first time. The afternoon looked like Michael taking a nap 
while I floated weightless in the hotel's saltwater pool, gazing upon the beautiful historic architecture. We rallied to go experience Café du Monde's legendary beignets. We sat on the porch and listened to an incredible singer while watching passers-by. We wandered down to dinner at Evangeline, again suggested by Jonathan. They seated us in the best seat in the house, right next to the air conditioning. Again we feasted, this time on fried pickles and crawfish tails, po'boys, crawfish and grits, and the best pecan pie and beignet bread pudding imaginable. We rolled back to the hotel room to collapse like stuffed pigs. Our time in New Orleans was over. Tomorrow, we would wake early to go kayak in the swamp with alligators. Tomorrow, we would drive through more of the state my biological family loved. Tomorrow, I would get to see Jonathan, and I couldn't wait. Join me next time on Do You Know Your Real Mom? <laughs>